Thank you for listening to another episode of The Vincast, Australia's premier wine podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to recommend another fantastic podcast, uh, an even better wine podcast than my own. It's called I'll Drink to That, hosted by Levy Dalton and uh, show warm-ups by Aaron Scala. Uh, Levy hosts the podcast out of uh, his apartment, basically, in New York City, and he sits down with some of the most incredible people in the wine industry, Uh, you know, some amazing winemakers, uh, sommeliers, wine merchants, and wine writers. Uh, And, you know, these are real um, big, big hitters in the world of wine, you know, from um, Chances Robinson to um, Albert de Villain. You know, he uh, has got some incredibly inspirational people uh, and he does an, a fantastic job of researching and, um, you know, his interview technique really does get a lot out of the guests. So you do get a much deeper understanding about their their background and their philosophies about wine. So it, particularly if you are in the wine industry and you want a more technical, uh, in-depth uh, podcast about wine, uh, I do highly recommend checking out I'll Drink to That. Uh, you'll be able to find it on Google, but you can also find it on iTunes. And uh, if you do enjoy it, please leave a rating and a review for Levy and let him know that uh, I recommended it. On episode 107 of the Vincast, I chat with the wine detective herself, Sarah Ahmed, a wine writer based in the UK that specialises in the wines of Australia and Portugal. Hello there, Vincasters. Welcome to another episode of The Vincast. My name is James Scarsbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino, and I am sitting in lovely, sunny Mildura at the moment. Uh, I'm here for the Australian Alternative Varieties Wine Show, uh, and uh, the the first day of um, stewarding was yesterday, uh, and it was all just you know setting up, going through and organising all the wines for the week. So uh, I'm really excited to to be able to help out, but also get involved as the fellow for the year uh, and uh, and see and taste lots, uh, ask lots of questions, uh, and I'm also going to be sitting down with a number of people whilst I'm here, uh, including my guest on this week's episode. Uh, her name is. Sarah Ahmed. Uh, she is otherwise known as the Wine Detective, uh, and she is uh, one of the foremost authorities on Australian and Portuguese wine in the UK, uh, travels quite extensively, uh, and writes for a number of different publications. So she's the, the guest international judge for the Alternative Varieties Wine Show this week. So I thought it was a fantastic opportunity to sit down and uh, and find out more about her. So um, please enjoy the episode. Uh, if you do, um, stick around to the end so you can find out how to get in touch with us. But uh, until then, I'll see you on the other side. Sarah, thank you for uh, making some time whilst, you're, whilst we're both here in Mildura <laughs> for the Alternative Writers Wine Show um, and welcome on the podcast. Thank you. Um, I usually ask my guest uh, at the start of mm-hmm. each episode if they can remember if there was a particular experience they had with wine that mm. possibly set them on the path to uh, oh, yeah. a career and, and mm-hmm. passion for wine yeah. or if it was a gradual thing. No, it was, uh, there was definitely uh, a scales fall from the eyes moment uh, where I realised that 
wine was a living thing mm-hmm. and was capable of changing in bottle and and I suppose um in fact I bought my partner a wine tasting course for a Christmas present and I was brought up in a in a family where you know we didn't really do wine my parents you know had the occasional bottle but it it, it certainly wasn't part of our family culture mm-hmm. um and at university I wasn't that into wine I mean you know Probably Kim Chalmers would be very excited by the fact that I, you know, would have magnums of Lambrusco, but I think it's probably not the sort of Lambrusco that that Kim aspires and Chalmers aspire to make. Yeah, but Lambrusco. <laughs> but as a student, you know, yeah, it still, was fruity and like uh, fun and, and very cheap. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, <laughs> so, it's not bad. so, so I'm definitely not of the sort of you know Oxbridge Wine Society <laughs> school of uh, wine writers, of which there are a lot in the UK. Okay. Um, and so then I became a lawyer. I was a lawyer for 12 years. And so in that context, because my boss, you know, I remember he really liked um, Chirouble Beaujolais, which is one of the less familiar ones. So I remember I, I sort of enjoyed that. And uh, and if we went for fancy dinners, he he was a big fan of Pliny Morochet, fortunately for me. So he introduced me to that. But I would not know anything about the domain or vintage or anything like that. And it wasn't so, capturing you enough to kind of want to find out more. You were just like, no. you started to enjoy it more. And, and Yeah, and but was, I was really into the food, to be honest. Was, that was my focus. And I'd always loved food. I yeah. loved cooking uh, when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents used to buy these Robert Carrier magazines. And I used to, you know, they'd buy fillet steak and let me use the brandy in the cupboard to cook with and things like that. So that was my theatre. That was my enjoyment of the sensual sensory world if you like so it was about food and then um because my partner you know would say when I was cooking oh it's this herb or this spice um I bought her a wine tasting course for a Christmas present and she said well look why don't you come along as well so I went along and and that was the scales fall from eyes moment right okay because first of all you were tasting you know we were tasting a number of different wines alongside each other so all of a sudden it was like oh so there's all these different wines because we would just buy Sainsbury's Southeastern Australian Chardonnay or, you know, Chilean Red or something like mm. that, you know, massively generic wines. Um, and, and, and and all of a sudden I was tasting all these wines that uh, I'd never come across before, comparing and contrasting, which I just think is the best way to learn, mm. you know, but obviously socially you're not tasting lots of wines alongside each other. And I think lots of people stick with, you know, they know what they like, they like what they know, and you're sort of in that, in that sort of circle, that vicious circle of, you know, which is not so good, uh, I think, with wine. Uh, you know, I think the fun in wine is to be adventurous. So that was real scales fall from eyes. And then the wine being a living thing really came out to me when I tasted, uh, it was a Moulin Touché 1986. Mm-hmm. So I suppose at that time, you know, it was maybe 15 years old. And I just remember, oh, wine ages and it develops and becomes really interesting in the bottle and and I had no idea about that mm-hmm. um, so that was the real sort of scales fall from eyes moment mm. um, so yeah but it, but up to that point you you'd started to kind of um, change your century perception like you started to get interested in food mm. and presumably you were looking at different ingredients and how you know mm. that, how they could combine and how they could mm. change and texture might have influenced things and so mm. I think it was only natural that you would start to um, you know discover wine and think about how that 
you know, how different elements of a wine, where it comes from, how it's made, yeah. how old it is might have, you know, changed suppose, the way you perceive yeah, the wine. Yeah, you, you, you would, you know, I suppose because of the interest in food, you've got a sort of library of vocabulary yep. and uh, understanding of flavours, flavour recognition. Um, but I think the other thing, actually, being a lawyer, and because I was a litigator... And a litigator, you know, it's all about disputes, court disputes, mm -hmm. and you're having to get your head around something new, yep. uh, how a process works, uh, analysis, you know, how interpretation, so, how, how you can use language to conceive, you know, um, not conceive, to convey yeah. an idea. Yeah, but I'm also, I'm also just dead curious, mm. you know, um, so that innate curiosity which I suppose took me to law and took me into that decision to be a litigator um, where you know I always love the beginning of a case because you'd be finding out something new sure. and starting to investigate it so so I think that came into it as well as, as the sort of food side of it so the food side was if you like the sensory side and then the, the without wanting to sound too highfalutin about it the law side was the more intellectual side of you know oh, how does this affect, how, how does oak affect it? How does where this grape is grown affect okay. the taste of the wine? So all of that, you know, there was that intellectual cu curiosity as well as that sensory appreciation and did you, colliding in a kind of wonderful way. Did you um, taste a wine and, and it, it kind of moved you in a different way and you kind of went, oh, what is it that I'm connecting with? And you kind of almost reverse engineered and sort of would yeah, read up. Yeah, no, I love like to that. do that. I love to okay. do that. I mean, for me, and when I, when I write about wine, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not a big fan of just, you know, writing out loads of tasting notes. I really want to put wine in context yeah. and communicate the context of wine, you know, the people, the place, the food, the philosophy behind the wine. Mm -hmm. I think that's what, certainly for me, makes wine more exciting. And in my experience of presenting tastings, I think when you can latch on, latch onto that and, and and talk about that, I think I think other people really can connect with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and because in a way, it's not about you, you know, saying I know how to taste and. You may, you know, perhaps you can learn to taste as well. And this is what I'm getting in this wine. So this is what you should be getting. Mm -hmm. It's more about this is what this is where this wine came from. Sure. Um, was, was there that's, I think, exciting. And that, yeah, certainly for me, that's what excites me about wine. And, and, and that kind of investigative thing that influenced you kind of coming up with this moniker of the wine detective? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, uh, what I used to say, I used to, I used to run some wine tasting courses when I first uh, left Odbins, which is, was my first wine job. And, uh, and what I used to say about the wine detective was, you know, a glass of wine is just full of clues, mm -hmm. you know, about what, great, what, what the grape variety is, where, it, where, it's, where the grapes are grown, how old the wine is. And I, yeah, and I, do, I do think in that way, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of forensic, if you like, approach, uh, thinking about the clues in the glass. And again, I think that's, you know, in my experience, people can really engage with that and they start looking for those clues and they become wine detectives. And that empowers uh, them to kind of uh, yeah. you know, unlock their potential for, to find out what wines yeah. that they like, what, what it is about wines that they yeah. connect with. What you do, yeah, and what you do and don't like. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's just as important what you don't like because then it starts you thinking about what you do like. Yeah. 
Uh, what was it that um, got you interested in food? Like, was it you know? Did you you know go and eat, eat mm. at reasonably good places? Where, where were you working? Were you in London? Yeah, I worked in London, but I was I was I mean um, I was born in uh, Yorkshire, and um, really. You do, yeah, not have, my uh, accent you do not is... have a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> well, you see, if, if, if you heard me say you. bath or grass, oh, <laughs> might have a Yorkshire temperament, James. Oh, you, you might what, be in what do you call now. it? A Yorkshire kiss? Oh, no, that's a Liverpool kiss, sorry. <laughs> You're getting yourself into even hotter water now. Yeah, I know. Oh, God. Yorkshire, Liverpool. Mm. Well, I have lots of unsubscribes after this episode, I'm sure. <laughs> but, but no, I got into food um, when I was a kid, so you know, well before I started work. And um, I guess that was because. My dad loved loved cooking. Actually, my dad um, my dad's from India originally, hence mm-hmm. the surname Ahmed. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he came over from, in fact, from Pakistan, where he did his medical training, and then he was a ship doctor, so travelled around the world. And I suppose you know really enjoyed finding new food cultures in that context. But when he came um, to the UK and he was working in hospitals, and the and hospital food was awful. Mm. <laughs> So, and he he actually he he didn't know how to cook at this stage, um, but had watched his mum a lot, sure. and uh, and so he went to the. Uh, I suppose he wasn't chased out of the kitchens with a meat cleaver wielding mm-hmm. chef, but mm-hmm. he went to the chef and saw all these ingredients and looked at the ingredients that they had in the in in the hospital kitchens and was like, well, these look this all looks pretty good stuff to me. Yeah, and he just said, look, can I can I take this and can I cook it myself? Okay, and uh, so he he sort of taught himself how to cook, and he was very passionate. You know about food, yeah, and um, and he would do a lot of the cooking at home. Okay, uh, he would like be um, home at lunchtime and uh, and in the afternoon he might have to do some calls and things. But he would often like cook dinner then, and uh, and when he picked us up from school, he'd always like have gone to the bakers and got cakes and things when we came home from school. So so there was a real love of food, you know, in my family, and <laughs> I, I always remember actually. Um, my family's love of food. You know, sometimes you're just in it mm-hmm. and you don't really appreciate that, that there is this connection between you all. Can't say the forest and, for the trees. Uh, yeah, and I remember with my with my partner when I first uh, took her home home to the, meet my my folks and one of my sisters was there who's also a, very, a big foodie. <laughs> my mum my made this really nice lunch and, and, and then we all started talking about our last, the last great food experience that we'd had. And, uh, and because Mandy, my partner, was there, all of a sudden, I was like, you know, da, 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 going backwards and, and, and sort of seeing everyone from a kind of helicopter perspective and thinking, oh, my God, we're really into our food. And, I, and, and yeah, I hadn't really – it was just how we were, you know. It's a, it's a, it takes an outsider's perspective to actually yeah. make you appreciate it and go, oh, yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, so do you think that that had a, a, a big influence in terms of having quite a diverse um, palate for, for different foods? Like – you know, mm. coming from that subcontinent um, area, you know, mm. probably, you know, spices and, and that kind of influence yeah. might have influenced you to a certain extent. I, th- I think it's... An appreciation for lots of, for diversity yeah, as well. Yeah, I think it's... I, I certainly think it's part of it. And I think when I got into wine, I think I felt reasonably... I suppose I felt reasonably confident about uh, talking about flavours and aromas and... Uh, in a way which, when I used to run wine tasting courses, I think I noticed that a lot of women were, were quite confident about talking about what flavours or aromas they were getting, okay. in a way that I don't think guys were. And I think also guys felt more under pressure to be able to name the wine region, sure. you know, and uh, show, show knowledge rather than actually responding directly to what was in the glass. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of women also felt, 
more confident about talking about flavours and aromas because, you know, back then I'm that old. Um, a lot of women would have been the ones who were really, you know, cooking and... Mm-hmm. And so, like you know, looking at different ingredients, that kind of thing, and, and yeah. you know, being confident just being with saying with that. well, that's lemon or or that's mm. coriander, that kind of thing. Okay, mm. how did your parents or how did your you know loved ones feel about you leaving a career in <laughs> law yeah. to pursue one in in wine? Yeah, I mean, uh, actually, for my parents, in a way, they were quite they were quite good about it in the sense that they. Uh, <laughs> They just kept quite quiet about it, you know. They, but um, it's sort of afterwards they talked about it when they could see that, you know, I was I was happy doing what I was doing, and and I think that you know that made all the difference for them. And I think partly James, you know, had sort of been through that loop before with them of of coming out, and and they reacted very badly to that, mm. and it took them quite a while to just see that I was happy so I think actually when it, it sounds bizarre but when it came to wine I think they thought actually Sarah knows who she is and and it made it easier for them in a way to mm. just stand back and let me do what I was going to do mm. they could see that you know it probably mm. would have been a real struggle to to make the decision to work walk away from what mm. probably was you know reasonably um, you know secure career yeah. in law to kind of take the risk of going to yeah. wine like they they having you know had the experience of of you telling them mm. you know a, a pretty important mm. part of who you are yeah um, they would have gone straight away well we know that Sarah's gonna, is telling us this she's making this decision because it makes her happy so. Mm. You know, we we can't disagree with her if she if, yeah. if, if that's what she wants to do. Then you know, she yeah, I think I think ahead. they felt more more sort of confident mm. that you know I <laughs> I know who I am and and you know I'd make the right call for me. Yeah, and, and you know, and they knew that I'd you know been stressed in the job and sure. that I didn't you know I didn't enjoy it. You know, there were parts of it that I enjoyed, but fundamentally, it didn't make me happy and. And, you know, my mum says, and I, it's something I didn't think about myself. She said, you get bored easily, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I always remember uh, reading an, an interview with an actor called Nigel Hawthorne who, who said, uh, you know, I, I never wanted a comfortable life but an interesting life. Mm. And I think that's how I, how I feel, actually. Mm. Uh, you know, so my mum's comment about you get bored easily, it's not something, actually, that I think about myself because I think I tend to be very... Uh, sort of committed, loyal person. I invest in things and I hate going backwards. So I don't tend to think of myself as someone who like flits around. Yeah. Um, but actually, I, I yeah, I do like learning. Sure. I like new things, and and I think wine gives you a real opportunity to to do that. Yeah. I remember the the day that I realised that you couldn't know everything about wine, and I, I, I thought <laughs> a lot of people probably look at that and become quite depressed. And I think that's actually quite liberating. Yeah. You know, you can always learn something new. Yeah. You know, it's impossible to know everything. So I think, it, you know, that fuels you to just, just keep pushing forward, but also to know that, well, there's, there's no harm because mm. you can never, ever, never know everything. Everything's always changing as far as wine. So um, you made the decision to, mm-hmm. to step away from law and did you think, did you research about 
how you wanted to get into the wine industry or, or <laughs> how did the odd bins opportunity mm. kind of present itself? Yeah, I'd love to say that I was like hugely strategic person, <laughs> but I'm not at all. And I think I think part of that move from law to wine is because I can do head stuff, but really I'm a heart person sure. and I tend to, you know, do things you know, and it comes from the heart rather than the head. So it wasn't wildly strategic, James. But um, when I I had to give a year's notice from my law job. A year? Yeah, because I was an equity partner. So Oh, okay, fair enough. So, uh, which was, and at that point, I didn't know that I was going to go into wine. I knew that I was really excited by it and I was going to more tastings and things. And, um, and uh, because I had a year off, I thought, uh, you know, I... I've got a chance to make a, a, you know, a really good decision here, you mm-hmm. know. And so I went to a life coach who, you know, basically got me to the point which was pulled right from the back of my head this idea which, you know, just seems silly. I totally dismissive of it. I'd love to work in mine, but I was 100% dismissive of it. thought that's silly. Um, but she brought that to the forefront and said, you can always go back to law. So, so then I started... Uh, I bought the um, trade magazine, Harper's Wine Spirit Weekly, mm-hmm. and looked at the jobs in the back of that just to get an idea of what, what jobs were available. And, um, and I'd started uh, going to wine tastings after the tasting course, the original tasting course that I'd bought for Mandy. Mm-hmm. I went on, on, on that company's next, you know, advanced tasting course or something, and I... I started going to Obbin's Fine Wine in Farringdon in the city, which is the original Obbin store, very big store, very atmospheric store under Hoban Viaduct. And I, I met the fine wine manager there who I got on very well with. And, uh, and he used to do these monthly tastings and I used to go along to those. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I just like the Obbin's very informal approach. I think it really appealed to me as well, having, you know, been a lawyer and... You know, lots of people, I think, would have thought, oh, you know, Sarah's going to go and work for Berry Brothers and Rudd or one of these very sort of pucker wine merchants. But it mm. wasn't how I how I felt about wine at all. I really uh, loved the sort of obbins back in the day. So this would have been 99, 98, 2000. Um, just lack of snobbery around wine and a sense of adventure around wine. Yeah. Um, and... and uh, and so, yeah, so I went on, on, on more tastings and, and then the fine, you know, got to know the fine wine manager and I decided Obbins actually was a good place to start because I didn't know a lot about wine. I really didn't. You know, I'd maybe been to, I don't know, probably no more than 20, 30 wine tastings by then, but I was just excited by it and reading books about it. And, uh, and I thought, this is great because I can go and work for Obbins just on the shop floor and it won't be pressured. Mm. You know, I've been working in this very pressured environment. I was a partner quite early on, and I'd worked in the in a, in a really big city firm doing crazy, crazy hours before that. I was a partner in a firm that had a big commitment to legal aid, so it was a completely different culture. Um, but it was still stressful in a different way. So, so I think I really enjoyed just giving myself time to relax and just put myself in, env- in an environment where I could learn. And I knew that I would learn from the people around me in Oddbins. Yeah. And, and I suppose Colin, the fine wine manager there, was a bit of a mentor. And, uh, and also that Oddbins would put you through the Wine and Spirit Education Trust exam. So I'd have this sort of formal 
training, mm. as it were, and, and build up some knowledge blocks fairly logically that way, but also have this input from from the guys that I worked with in the store, you know, because because back then everyone who worked in Obbins, you know, they were complete wine nuts, you know, and, yeah. and there was this incredible passion about wine and, you know, everyone was opening wines to taste and uh, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was really great. It worked really well for me. I could imagine that um, it would have been pretty liberating to kind of go into uh, an environment where you had, you know, almost all your responsibility taken away and mm. you can kind of, it's a clean slate and you yeah. are learning. And, and I think that probably would have been quite comforting considering that you'd stepped away from, you know, something that you were very familiar with and, and had mm -hmm. worked many years at to mm. something t totally new. Yeah. Um, were you influenced by wines from anywhere in particular in those early days? Did you find yourself connecting with wines from a particular country more mm. than others? Definitely Australia. I mean, I guess because at that time, anyway, uh, Aust you know, Australian wines, you know, were immensely popular and uh, in Obbins they had an amazing selection of Australian wines. Mm. I mean, incredible. I mean, there were <laughs> there was almost a whole area in the store uh, in the main store that was, I, I reckon they, we probably had about 80 different Australian wines wow. in the main store. And then in the fine wine store, uh, Australia was an important part of the fine wine store, which, you know, is again, part of that Obbins being unstuffy. And, uh, and I can remember, uh, I think it would probably one of the tastings that I went to before I left the law in fact, it definitely would have been because I wouldn't have spent that much money. Um, and, and I went to a tasting and, uh, and I bought, uh, I bought a, a case of Heggis Viodier and a case of uh, Catnook Prodigy, mm. uh, the 97, I remember, uh, which lasted very well. I only had the last bottle about three years ago. Um, so, so definitely Australia. Yeah. Uh, and because of how everyone was in the store at that time as well in Obbins, you know, everyone was really passionate about Australian wines. Well, certainly and that's before... What, what we were all drawn to, you yeah. know. It was certainly before the, the sort of the bubble burst yeah. for Australian wine. Obviously, you know, yeah. the financial crisis yeah. had a, a big effect on, on the Australian wine and the export markets. Um, did you really relish the opportunity to be able to talk with um, customers, general public, and kind of learn f firsthand what people were interested in, in knowing about learning and then talking mm. with your colleagues and then your mentors as well did you kind mm. of really um take advantage of that experience yeah i mean i guess what especially when <laughs> i then uh became fine wine manager in that store yeah so the last two years that i was at oddbins i was the fine wine manager and um i set up uh, an email database of customers and I had regular tastings and I took them to restaurants and um, and I really enjoyed building up a relationship with the customers and understanding what kind of wines they liked, developing that trust, which I think is really exciting actually when, you know, and in, in, in a way as a, you know, now writing about wine, you know, and especially stuff that's on my website, you know, that stuff that really excites me, you know, and so people who know me and you, you know, go, oh, if Sarah likes it, then it's worth 
tasting that. Yeah, okay. And I, or if, you know, Sarah describes it in this way, then that's a wine I'm going to like. And, you know, when I worked in, uh, in Obbins, and especially when I was managing a fine wine store, I think it was really enjoyable to develop that. Yeah. relationship where yeah. you know you'd 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 you know email someone or phone them and go you know i've just got this in i think you'd really love it yeah and you're you know you're taking people on the adventure yeah you know the adventure that excites you you know come on this come on this ride with me you know yeah uh so yeah a lot of fun in that and and i really enjoy that about presenting tastings as well and you know in some ways it's much more rewarding than writing because a lot of writing that you do from the tyranny of the word count, um, which I find immensely frustrating because I could just go on and on and on sharing my knowledge and enthusiasm. And, you know, it's uh, they're pretty tight word counts. Um, the other great thing about doing tastings is that you get immediate feedback, mm, mm, absolutely. you know, and, 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 you're really in it's yeah you're interacting mm. and you really feel that you can really see where you're making a difference to people's appreciation of of wine it, it, it's funny you, you mentioned nigel hawthorne before you know mm. i think a shakespearean actor yeah he um did, yeah. you know and a lot a lot of those the the, the stage actors sort of talk mm. about loving the theater because they can they can see the audience mm. and they can see they can hear them reacting and they love yeah. that immediate feedback whereas when they're on television or film mm. you know they don't they don't they're not able to unless they go and sit in the theater with an audience mm. they don't know what the audience might be reacting to um, so you whilst working for Audbins, you mm -hmm. um, studied you did um, Wesset uh, yeah. and no doubt you would have had the opportunity to also um, travel did you you know get out to wine regions start to visit producers um, you know you, you got around yeah. and you started to connect with producers as well yeah so so I did my first sort of winery experience I think in the second year that I was at Obbin so I so I did vintage for two weeks at Torres in uh, Catalonia mm. uh, which was which was funny you know because I can remember on the first day just being stepped through the winemaking process and it totally reminded me of my first glamorous overseas project as a as a lawyer yeah. when I worked in the city firm which was a sewage treatment plant in Dubai that had gone wrong oh. and I and I had to understand the whole process and go through each individual step mm. and and it was funny sort of I I just remember it going through you know flicking through my head then this <laughs> same experience but how much more enjoyable it was <laughs> it was wine in a beautiful place yeah. and much nicer smells yes yeah. i'm sure yeah so so i did that and um and with the um wine inspector education trust exams uh i suppose because i'm a spotty lawyer and and also because you know i'd made this massive change and i really wanted to make it work i was really you know very motivated so you know i'd love to say i was a natural genius at you know, passing these exams and things, but I worked really hard. You know, mm. I studied. That's you know, I enjoy and I enjoy that. I enjoy learning. So, uh, so I won quite a lot of bursaries and things, and got sort of study trips that way. So I went to Chile, uh, visited the Loire quite a bit, and uh, and then for the diploma, I was the the top graduate, which was incredibly lucky because it was in two thousand and three which was the year when it was the last year of the old style diploma, which meant if you were the top graduate, you got this trophy uh, that Jancis Robinson had won and other famous people in wine. So that was nice for profile. And then you got all these um, bursaries. So I got, um, I got this bursary, which enabled me to go to South Africa and the Loire 
to focus on Chenin Blanc. Mm-hmm. So uh, I probably spent about eight weeks on that, wow. uh, which gave me my first opportunity to write about wine. And remember, I'm coming from this background of being an expert as a lawyer, yeah. you know, particularly in the city firm, very specialist. So for me, I, I felt I could write about that because I'd spend a lot of time, yeah. probably a lot more time than lots of people studying Chenin Blanc. So I, so I had uh, two or three pieces that I wrote, my first paid pieces yeah. came out of that. Um, and I had a study trip to Portugal for a week. Uh, and in Obbins, we didn't have very many Portuguese wines at all and I uh, didn't have very much exposure to them. But I had, you know, for the exams, I'd sort of gone along to the annual Portugal tasting in London and all that sort of thing. Um, but I really didn't know much about them. And uh, and going on that study trip, you know, if you're, if you're curious, if, you know, about wine, which I am, uh, all these different native grape varieties, this long, skinny country and lots of changes, you know, as you travel down the country, then, uh, you know, you can't help but fall in love with Portuguese wine, really. Mm. So... Uh, so, so that was where you, you first sort of started to fall in love with Portuguese wine yeah, as well? Yeah. And uh, and then, I guess because of the diploma and because of, you know, working in Obbins, Wine Australia asked me to go out to Australia in 2004. And that was, that, so that was my first trip to Australia. And it was this crazy two and a half weeks uh, of, you know, starting in Western Australia, then going to South Australia, then going to... Victoria, then going to Tasmania, then going to New South Wales and going to all the sort of key wine regions. Wow. Um, so, so it was a real roller coaster ride, but gave, gave me this fantastic overview. Uh, and, um, and when I came back from that, I'd sort of mentioned to the Wine Australia crew that I was, I was planning to, to leave Obbins and, and go freelance and do tastings and writing. And, uh, and they said, oh, do you want to present tastings for us? Because someone that they used to uh, employ to do tastings, um, she was ill, unfortunately. And um, and so they asked me if I would do these tastings up and down the country for wine societies and consumer groups. So that also really kind of reinforced my knowledge of Australian wine. And, you know, I was regularly tasting a lot of Australian wine doing that. Yeah. Um, so everything happened. I think your original question was was basically, you know, so how did you forge your path in wine? So it all happened like really, you know, super organically mm. um, rather than some massive master plan. Mm. <laughs> as far as your writing, um, mm. you know, particularly as you uh, approached, um, you know, becoming independent or freelance, uh, yeah. how did you kind of approach how you wanted to write, like what you wanted to say, mm-hmm. not having studied journalism or yep. I, I'm guessing not really creative writing or anything like that. You know, no. you would have done, you I know, mean, a lot, lot of legal writing. Hitherto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Had to scratch those. Yeah. Um, how, how, and I was very wordy as well. Sure. You know, lawyers, you know, you're paid by, you know, your time. So, yeah, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time over things. Big documents. <laughs> Lots of sub-clauses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, well, you know, I guess... Um, you, I mean, you, you said you, you were quite swatty uh, yeah. as far as uh, mm-hmm. your, 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 particularly with the yeah. wine. You, I'm assuming you did a lot of reading. Did you have influences as far as, you know, there's some of the stuff you were reading about wine and did that kind of possibly play into mm. how you wanted to write about wine? Gosh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think really about that. 
I suppose, hmm, when I first, I mean, I suppose my first writing in a way was writing a, a monthly newsletter mm-hmm. when I worked in Obbins. Sure. I set up all these email customer base. So, so that's when I first started writing. So that was very just me chatting to my customers. And to a degree, I suppose I carried on doing that with the wine detector. But then, actually, do you know what? I, if I'm completely honest, I would say that when I started writing for magazines, I found it really challenging. Sure. I found it really tough because I sort of felt that I had to be the expert. Mm. And so it wasn't me just chatting to people. Um, and, and also, you know, with the odd bins writing and yeah. with the wine detective you sort of had your audience, they knew your voice and so yeah. you felt like it was yeah. you, you were connecting with them whereas, you know, when you're writing for someone else you have to kind mm. of, you know, take that out of it and, yeah. and it's, it's, it's not, like, in the it's first not about person. me, yeah. it's not about necessarily, you know, me mm. talking to you, it's about I'm talking about a particular topic. Yeah, so I suppose because of that and this comes back to being swatty I suppose, and 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 also because my first paid writing came out of this, you know, actually a huge luxury of being able to spend, you know, several weeks in the Loire and in South Africa, um, meeting Chenin Blanc producers, tasting lots of Chenin Blanc. Um, I did these big questionnaires and everything. Uh, and, you know, I suppose being a lawyer, I'm good at marshalling information, mm. and, you know, going through it. So, so that will help process it. So I suppose... I wrote in quite a, I suppose, probably a relatively formal but informed style. You know, I felt it was very important that I really knew my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, confidence. You, you talked about confidence before. You, you wanted to sort of yeah, have a sure. confidence in, in, in what yeah, you Yeah, that would be important to me. Uh, I'm not a seat-of-the-pants person. I never have been. Okay. Um, so, so I suppose that that approach definitely uh, would have informed my writing style. I think also, and, and and maybe this comes back a little bit to being, you know, an advocate, if you like, uh, for clients as a litigator about telling their story, which does take you out of it. So, um, really getting lots of first-hand information and reporting it. Mm-hmm. Which I suppose sometimes I, I sort of think you can struggle a little bit getting, getting your own opinion across. I mean, some, some writers, and, and sometimes I look at them enviously and think, oh, I wish I was better at really, you know, asserting an opinion or whatever. And I think I tend to, I think I do it sort of in a reading between the lines way mm. um, because of what I choose to write about um, and what, I suppose what I, how I report it, mm. you know, and how you marshal information. Um, so I suppose, so I suppose, I, how would I describe my style? I'd describe my style as wanting to get the stories out there. Okay. The stories of the producer, the stories of the region, rather than, you know, it, it being about, about me. Um, I'm very drawn to, inverted commas, underdogs. Mm-hmm. So I think the sort of, enjoyment around Portugal is is about wanting to share and excite people about this country whose wines I think are really underrated and mm. below the radar. Um, and Australia, it sounds a weird thing to say that about Australia, but I think although Australia's, you know, had 
you know, number one position since 2004 in the UK and been very popular um, with commodity wines, I think has, it has struggled much more with premium and, uh, and certainly fine wines. But I've, that's the environment that I've always worked in Australian with Australian wine wines. Ha- has so, a perception for being a bit so, one-dimensional. Yeah, so championing that yeah. is, you know, that's something that definitely informs what draws me to a story or a wine region or a wine or a producer. And I suppose that also ties in with wanting to be learning and, and uncovering new trends. Mm. So, and I think, <laughs> I think I also have a bit of a, a sort of scepticism, I think a healthy scepticism about, you know, the really famous regions, uh, you know, the Bordeaux and Burgundy, although obviously working, managing a fine wine store, those were very important. But in the odd bins scheme of things, you know, there was a, a lot of other things that were very exciting. And I, I would know that customers, you'd get a lot of customers come in who would say, I've got £100 to spend on a bottle of wine. And th- at that time, £100 would buy you a bottle of first growth Bordeaux. Yeah. And, uh, and I'd say, well, is it to drink now or is it to, you know, and they go, no, I just, because if it's to drink now, maybe you would like to instead maybe this pomerol you know at 60 pounds is chateau figiac maybe this is better uh no i want to spend 100 pounds mm. you know and, and just realizing it wasn't about the wine it was about you know spending a certain amount of money and the status and and that doesn't attract me yeah that's not what draws me to wine and it's not the sort of story that i want to tell i don't want to reinforce if you like that um, status and wealth. I want to say, hang on, these things they're not really connected. deserve attention. Yeah, these things are amazing. Yeah, have a look at this. Don't look at that. Look at this. Um, and uh, so, so mm, I suppose, in so, yeah, choosing what I choose to write about and how I choose to write about it is really tapping into that personal opinion of mine. So well, now I've decided I'm very opinionated after all. No, but like I think mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 I agree with you. Uh, well, at least my person, me personally, I mm. like, I, I, I get a bit bored of hearing the same sort of things all the mm. time. And, and if I feel that people aren't necessarily talking about something enough, I want to want. I want to find out why, and mm-hmm. I want to find the charm in something, and 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 so mm. you know that's why I have particular interest in in certain uh, styles of wines. You know, I, I like alternative varieties. You know, I like wines from not really well known mm. um, regions of Italy. You know, I I personally love the wines mm. of Portugal, particularly in terms of the, the table wines. I, I think that there is much more um, pleasure. Uh, and reward in not just getting an opportunity to talk about those kind of things, but also mm. when you have someone connect with it and and say, ah, oh, I would never have thought of you know mm. buying a bottle of um, you know red wine from the Dal region of Portugal. Yeah. You know, I've, I'd never heard of it before. Mm. I've never heard of these grapes, but I enjoyed it so much more because. Mm your passion and and your ability to communicate mm. and and you know put it in context was yeah. was so much more enjoyable for me rather mm. than reading another bland tasting note or looking at a point score yeah um yeah uh, how did you go um 
from you know becoming freelance to you, you know you've contributed to some of the you know mm-hmm. greatest um, you know wine publications and uh, and reference guides in the world. How did yeah. you get those opportunities um, moving forward with your career in the last you know 10, 10 plus years? How did those opportunities yeah. come about? Um, yeah, again, I'd love to say it was my great strategic master plan, but it wasn't. Um, I think, do you know, I think something I noticed about my law career and my wine career is that if you're really passionate about something, it really shines through. And I think although, you know, I was a good lawyer, um, and I, you know, I was successful within that, I didn't really feel successful. I didn't, you know, I didn't enjoy that inverted commas success. And in wine, it's been very different. And so I think people can, I think people can see that and respond to that. Um, so I was, I guess, my in to uh, writing those texts, uh, writing for those reference books, uh, the World Atlas of Wine and Hugh Johnson Pocket Wine and um, Oxford Companion to Wine is because really early on, like I think it was the year after I left Dobbins, and I think it came back to the diploma and being the top graduate on the diploma, you know, which I worked very hard for it, but equally, you know, I could have been second or third. I might not have been, you know, that could easily have happened, but I was lucky. You know, I did put the work in, but I was lucky still. and, And I think probably because of that and because... Someone who used to be married to, she didn't used to be married, she was married to a, a, a buyer at Oddbins, who's no longer a buyer at Oddbins, that's what they used to be. Um, she was uh, editing, it was, was temporary managing editor on the World Atlas of Wine, the sixth edition. And so she suggested me for doing the initial research on it. And, and Jancis Robinson approved that. And, you know, if you have Jancis Robinson's approval, that's pretty handy. Yeah. So uh, I have a lot to thank Jancis for um, for approving you know, and going yes, you know, and giving me that break. Yeah. Or, you know, um, I, you know, I haven't met her lots of times or whatever, but I suppose there was a certain trust came from how I'd performed. And then because I performed well on that... Um, I was asked to do Hugh Johnson Pocket Wine and contribute on Portugal. And to be honest, you know, when I was asked to do that, I didn't know very much about Portugal at all. And uh, and I can remember having a conversation, you know, with my partner and going, I don't think I can do this, you know, because I just don't know enough about Portugal. And uh, Mandy rather brilliantly said to me, but you know what, if if you take that on, you will study it and you will find out mm. a lot about Portugal and, you know, the person who stopped doing it is the person who'd written books on Portugal before and he, he was going off and establishing his own winery. Um, and there weren't many people who knew much about Portugal. So she said, they'll just give it to someone else who doesn't know much about Portugal, but at least you will be conscientious about it and yeah. you will get stuck in. So, yeah. that's what, so that's what happened. Yeah. And then the Oxford Companion. So it's so all then, you know stemmed from that really yeah um now you've also been very involved with uh with wine show with judging 
mm-hmm. um, and you've you know judged you know around the world. Um, how how have you approached uh, the opportunity to to judge and um, what what do you personally try to to get out of the experiences that you have uh, you know judging? Mm. I mean, the first thing that I like to do is. I like to come to the region and spend some time in the region yeah. uh, and not just in a room tasting a lot of wines every day because I, I don't find that of itself very exciting. Um, so to ha- have some context, yeah. you know, the place, the people, the culture, the local food, I think is really uh, important. And also to get to, you know, to get to know the people. And then in the wine show process itself... Obviously, you're learning about the wines of a of, of a region or a style, um, but also it's the conversations with with the other judges and the connections that you make. Sure. In the show, and and just learning an awful lot, you know, especially in Australia because you know you're judging with winemakers, a lot of winemakers, and I'm not a winemaker and I'm, I'm not very scientific. Um, you know, I know how I feel about wine, but, you know, for me, it's really fascinating to have that wine insight into a winemaker's perspective. Uh, so I find that really valuable. Mm. Um, and, and also I think it's interesting seeing the different approaches at different wine shows by the chair, by the, by the different, um, team leaders. So, so I think there's lots, you know, there's lots, there's lots to learn. It's a, it's a fantastic learning opportunity. You know, it's not just about dishing out, you know, your judgment of, of Solomon on the wines. It's, 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 you know, that's not the most important thing for me. Hopefully I'm doing a good job on it. But the most important thing is, you know, it's an immense learning opportunity. Yeah. Now, of course, um, you're here um, mm. as the, uh, the, the international yeah. uh, guest judge for the Australian Alternative Varieties Wine Show. Um, you, uh, of course, are very across Australian wine and Portuguese wine. Um, are you excited to kind of look at um, what's happening in Australia, particularly in, in the context of uh, alternative varieties? What, you know, like, are you looking forward to tasting lots of new things this week? Yeah, I mean, I was <laughs> gobsmacked, I think it's fair to say is the word, um, that there are 102 different varieties in the show. I mean, I'm pretty across I know I'm pretty across Australia certainly in the UK I hadn't you know I hadn't got a Scooby there were you know <laughs> that many varieties mm. um, being planted and producing wine in Australia so so no I think you know I'm, I'm really looking forward to finding out more uh, and I guess you know uh, last year 21st century vino the event was in Melbourne yeah. uh, and then came to London and that was my big updating, really, on alternative grape varieties, because Max Allen had come out to London, I think it was about six years ago, several years ago, to show some alternative variety wines. And, uh, and I remember sort of thinking, they, they didn't excite me so much. They, they, you know, they seemed like red wines, white wines, made in an Australian style, um, and uh, and he showed them alongside um, examples from Europe, and and I just thought, and they're a lot more expensive than the European ones. I just don't see what this is about. I don't I don't get it. Um, and what's I think what's really changed for me 
in the last few years and 21st century, century Vino, I think, really took it a stage further. But I'd already picked up that all of a sudden alternative grape varieties seem to be a lightning rod for um, really pushing the boundaries with winemaking styles. And it was almost as if producers were saying, we've got a new, this new variety, we can just wipe the slate clean in terms of how we go about making wine and, uh, and just take a different approach, you know, mm. use more solids, mm-hmm. um, use natural yeasts, you know, reduce sulfur levels, you know. We, but I guess principally focus a bit more on acid and tannin. Yeah. On, you know, the bones of a wine, the structure of a wine. Yeah. Um, and, not, and not just the fruit, which, you know, I think Australia, you maybe don't have to work so hard to get that fruit. No. Um, so, so for me, that's been the real game changer with alternative varieties. And when um, 21st Century Vino came to London last year, I just think it was, I think for a lot of UK press uh, and trade, I think they were really surprised by actually how far Australians have, have pushed it and how successfully they've pushed it with alternative grape varieties. And I think, I mean, something that I, I've noticed anyway, um, leaving aside alternative grape varieties, is because I come to Australia regularly, I, t- I taste a lot of wines that never get, never make it to the UK, you know, and, and, and some might be even just cellar door wines that are single vineyard wines. And, you know, for a, and there are still lingering sort of... Um, stereotypes in the UK about, you know, Australian wines all being multi-regional blends or, you know, certainly not a great deal of single vineyard wines or terroir. But I've known for a long time coming over here that, you know, there are a lot of single vineyard wines knocking around and and single vineyard wines which deserve single vineyard on the label. You know, the terroir is is relevant. Um, So I think one of the huge issues is that there are, you know, some not very exciting buying decisions in the UK, a lot of conservatism. Um, so we haven't been seeing what's what's been going on. And I've been quite privileged in having the opportunities to come over here. But I hadn't really picked up on that uh, alternative varietal trend and how successful um, those wines have become until last year at the um, 21st Century Vigno Tasting. Yeah, and, and, and as evidenced by the fact that there are over 700 entries, you know, record-breaking yeah. Uh, yeah. this year, you know, it really does show you that uh, the industry, um, uh, uh, you know, across the mm. board, you know, from mm. very small producers to some very mm. large producers are mm. all, you know, investing mm. in, in varying levels in yeah. the alternative variety. So it's, you know, it's certainly exciting mm. for me. I'm, I'm you know, relish the opportunity to, yeah. to taste and, and ask questions, hopefully. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to, to, to see what you think uh, yeah. at the end of this week. Yeah. Um, Sarah, I wanted to thank you very much for making some time. It really has no, been fascinating yeah, uh, finding talk. out more about your journey. Um, have you got any upcoming projects or anything you'd like to, to share with the listeners? Um, or, <laughs> you know, you're, you're starting to run some tours as well. Yep. So um, Arblaster and Clark, um, I ran... Um, a tour for them in Australia in uh, in March in South Australia uh, and in Victoria. Yes. And the plan is to do another tour 
in 2018. They want to do it every other year. So I think the plan next time, I'm, I'm certainly pushing for Victoria and Tasmania, so a slightly different diet, a, more of a focus on cool climate regions. Well, you can still do um, some hopefully get some <laughs> uh, alternative uh, grape varieties uh, in the equation as well. Yep. Uh, and, and, and also running some tours to Portugal. So Great. So, yeah. Fantastic. And I think, you know, that again, you know, because then you have the chance to share with people the place, the people uh, and the culture, not just trying to lift it off the page from your experience, but actually they get that firsthand experience. And yeah. I just think, especially in Australia, actually, people love the lifestyle here. You know, uh, it really makes a big difference when people come. Absolutely. Come here, I think. And we're, I mean, we're pretty welcoming people. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And um, your website and social media uh, yep. accounts, if you'd like people to follow you. Yep, thewinedetective.co.uk is my website. Uh, on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Sarah Wine. Um, so, yeah, please do follow. Fantastic. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks, and James. And my sincerest thanks again to Sarah for making some time while she's here in Mildura. Uh, it was really great to uh, to learn a bit more about her, and I hope you guys did enjoy the episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please uh, let us both know. Uh, you can find me on social media, on in Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Intrepid Wino, and the podcast can also be found on Twitter at uh, the Vincast. Uh, you can find my Facebook page uh, and hit that like button uh, and you can see some of the pictures and links and other stuff that I post on there. Uh, why not come to my YouTube channel, uh, Intrepid Wino, one word. Uh, I will be posting some uh, video footage of the uh, the proceedings of uh, the, the the wine show here in Mildura. I'm really excited to, to, to be able to share that experience uh, and check out some of the other videos that I've posted on there as well. Uh, you can find the podcast on, uh, on any number of different podcast hosting apps, uh, including iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Player FM. Uh, subscribe to the podcast so that you can get the newest episode as soon as it becomes available, uh, and you'll also be able to get access to the full back catalogue, uh, all 106 previous episodes of the show. Uh, I'd love for you to come and visit me at intrepidwino.com. Please do get in touch. Uh, you can find me at thevincast at gmail.com. Because I'd love to hear from you, but uh, looking forward to uh, hearing what people thought of this week's episode, uh, and uh, again, hopefully get you on a future episode. But uh, until next time, bye.